What's up, Pewter Peeps? Welcome in to the all-new PewterCast, your number one spot for Rays news analysis, or for Bucks news analysis. What am I doing? Rays news and analysis. Can't you take it radio. Tell, you, can, you can tell I've been in baseball mode all damn week. That is Ren. He is in Bucks mode all year long. I am Steve Carney. And joining us this week as we will start our look around the NFC South as we get ready for the 2021 NFL season, the Bucks looking to defend a Super Bowl championship for the first time in almost two decades. And to do so, we will start with our good friend Mike Neighbors, who is the Saints television host on Cox Sports Television. He's got plenty of of Saints expertise and maybe some other things in the works that we might get into here a little bit later. Mike, thank you so much for being the first guest on the all-new PeterCast. I appreciate it. Another notch on my resume. This is exciting. Good to be on with you guys. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Hey, uh, I guess we I guess we really have to start with the elephant in the room, the 800-pound gorilla, so to speak, and that is the retirement of Drew Brees after spending uh, however many, you know, 15, 16 years. How many it years like. was it? Was he with the Saints? 15. 15, yeah, 15 seasons yeah. uh, with the Fleur de Lis on his helmet. I, I guess I guess the first question is, is there any way to underplay this loss uh, for the for the Saints at quarterback? Because you're going from a, a Hall of Famer. You didn't draft anybody, so it looks like you're going to go into the season with Jameis Winston and, and Taysom Hill. I mean, I think I don't think you can really underplay the loss of Drew Brees to this team. Well, here's the thing, Steve, is uh, I actually think the Saints offense has a chance to be better without Drew Brees. Uh, you're going to miss the intangibles. You're going to miss the leadership. You're going to miss the pregame chant. You're going to miss a lot of what he brings to the table. But let's face it, you saw it in the playoff game against the Bucks. Drew Brees hasn't been Drew Brees the last couple of years when it comes to arm strength, yeah. when it comes to durability. I mean, he didn't miss a game for years, but he missed, you know, a handful of games the last two years. They did draft a quarterback, Ian Book, out of Notre Dame in the fourth round. He's more of a project, though. They're going to groom him, hopefully down the road in their eyes. But the quarterback battle is very interesting to me because Jameis Winston can throw the ball downfield better than Drew Brees four years ago. Not to even mentioned the last couple of years. So if Jameis Winston, he has the opportunity of a lifetime, of a career, if he can get his act together. Now, we've heard this before, haven't we, guys? If and Jameis yeah. Winston over and over again. But if he can turn it around, it will be the uh, renaissance of renaissances because he could do it in a division against a team that he used to play for twice a year. But when Breeze went down – against the 49ers last year, boy, this COVID timeline seems like 30 years ago when that happened, just like, like 80 years ago when the Saints beat the Bucks and Ray J, right? And then we know what happened after that. But when the Saints lost to the 40, beat the 49ers, the breeze went down and Winston went in, you know, the next week we're all thinking, wow, Winston's going to be in there and Taysom Hill will be the Swiss Army knife. But oh no, Sean Payton put Taysom Hill in there in part because he was a man of his word in the offseason. When he was a free agent and they signed him, he told him, listen, if Breeze goes down, we're going to give you a shot. And that's what they did. And they won three or four games with Taysom Hill, which leads me to now. Training camp, a little over a month away, guys. Everybody's saying Jameis Winston. I'm going to say hold it right there. If Jameis Winston is still Jameis Winston, Sean Payton will not play him. He will not start him as the quarterback. He likes Taysom Hill. 
And Sean Payton has a healthy ego. He also likes the fact he discovered Taysom Hill and he created this Taysom Hill phenomenon in this copycat league that everybody's trying to find their Taysom Hill. So if he can make Taysom Hill work and he is a better quarterback in the preseason than Jameis Winston, he absolutely will be that starter. So I think it will be a battle, but the best decision Jameis Winston ever made was, of course, not the 30 picks his last year with the Bucks was taking a huge pay cut and learning under Sean Payton and Drew Brees because if he can cut down the turnovers and throw the ball downfield like we've seen him throw it, I'm telling you, this offense, it's still top-heavy. I know they've lost a lot in the offseason. Their offensive line is great. They have Kamara. They have wide receivers. Winston has a better supporting cast than he had with the Bucks pre-Tom Brady, so it's all there for Jameis Winston, guys. It's going to be a fun offseason with the Saints. Do you do you think that that Taysom Hill? Let me put it this way: Day one training camp, first team offense goes out. Who's getting the first shot? Who's under center? Well, that's a great question. I would say Taysom Hill right now. I would because really he, he's the guy that started last season uh, when Drew Brees went down. Right, right. right. Uh, Sean Payton has a lot of loyalty, but but the same token, Ren. I don't know if that means a lot. Um, I think it is a loyalty thing. I'm going to say Taysom Hill. And I, I actually believe in Taysom Hill. I get a lot of criticism for this. I do podcasts. We do a Dundat podcast in New Orleans. And I, I do it with former linebacker Scott Shanley, who started on the Super Bowl team. And there's a lot of pushback with Taysom. A lot, right. of, you know, a lot of people don't think he can be that guy. But I, I believe in Sean Payton. I, I love the play calling that, he, that yeah. I've seen from him. The last uh, 15, you always got to subtract one with Bounty Gate with Sean Payton, 14 years with Sean Payton. But, you know, and I'll always say this, too. I don't want to get off topic, but, you know, people always say, well, what if Drew Brees were to sign with the Miami Dolphins? You know, the football world would have been different. Nick Saban wouldn't have gone to Alabama. And that's true. But at the same token, again, I don't know if Drew Brees would have been as good as he would have been with Sean Payton either. He would have had a great career. He would have helped Nick Saban. But the force that they had together and the chemistry they had together, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, was very special. But Brees was not the same quarterback, especially last season. So uh, I think Taysom will be out there first, but it's going to definitely be a battle this preseason for the Saints in terms of who replaces Drew Brees. So uh, on that same note, though, you know, so if it doesn't matter if you've got Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill under center. You know, there's been a lot of changes uh, in that offense. I mean, you still have Kamara, you still have Michael Thomas, but a lot of the other pieces that have been around are now gone. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. Jared Cook is gone. Those those are two pretty big pieces in the passing game that Drew Brees had and Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston is not going to have. So who steps into those roles, Mike? Well, after that Jared Cook fumble against the Bucks, they don't miss him in New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say, do they really miss Jared Cook? <laughs> they like Adam Troutman, uh, a guy who was drafted a couple years ago to step in and be mm -hmm. that young star at tight end. Um, the interesting thing is Michael Thomas obviously hurt a lot last season. He'll be better, you would think. But who's that number two receiver for the New Orleans yeah. Saints? Is it Traquan Smith, who has shown flashes but hasn't been consistent, hasn't been able to stay healthy. And here's the guy I love is Deontay Harris, who's my height. Maybe that's mm -hmm. why I like him. Little guy, gets it done, and to me is only going to get better. It was an undrafted guy with the New Orleans Saints. So they have potential, but they still have that great offensive line. 
They still have Alvin Kamara. They have Latavius Murray, kind of a sneaky guy many forget about. Michael Thomas will be better, but that number two wide receiver is something to watch. And, of course, you know, we can make fun of Jared Cook, but he was serviceable, had had flashes of greatness too, but mm-hmm. never was the pickup that they thought he would be. You know, when Winfield made that strip, I thought that changed everything in that game, by the way. But, yeah, it's to me, if you're going to summarize the Saints team, I know we'll get to the defense, it's fragile. Uh, you know, they've won four straight NFC South titles. They were the first time in franchise history they won every game in the NFC South during the regular season. Of course, they lost to the Bucks in the playoffs. But those teams were deep. Those teams were more talented. This team is talented, but it's top-heavy, especially on offense. If they have a big injury, it's big trouble for the Saints really on either side of the football. Talk about the second wide receiver spot. Is Taysom Hill a good enough wide receiver to to be number two on this in this offense? No way. Uh, he, he's a Swiss Army knife. He's a complimentary guy. He's a, a gadget guy in a lot of ways to throw the defense's game plans off. I mean, they're going to move him around, and you know he'll play running back sometimes. Obviously, he'll play quarterback and spot Jameis if he is the starter and wide receiver. But uh, he can get it done as a wide receiver, but he's not good enough to be that complimentary guy to Michael Thomas. And really, they, they don't want that. They want a guy to step up and be that complimentary guy, Ren. Um, And I think, you know, I I don't know if if I can read Sean Payton's mind with this, but I I really feel like he wants Jameis to be the guy and he can still have fun with Taysom Hill. And, you know, uh, Trevor Simeon is still a veteran quarterback they have that could spot uh, a Jameis if he got hurt and you could keep Taysom as as a Swiss Army knife. But I think there's so many moving parts that Sean Payton's excited about and the competitor, Sean Payton, to bring it back into the uh, Bucks topic area here with your audience mm-hmm. is, you know, you know, Sean Payton would love to fix Jameis Winston. And oh, yeah. Go back to the Bucks and, and show who's boss a little bit. And they also have the Taysom Hill dynamic that he created. So there's a lot of different plots at work when you talk about the Saints quarterbacks. Let's kind of go back to the beginning here. Um, lots was made after Drew Brees left, you know, it, oh, let's start. Is a salary cap or was a salary cap as bad as everyone made it out to be like as a Bucks fan. And that's who we're talking to. Like we reveled in the Saints salary cap woes. Was <laughs> it really that bad? Uh, and is it that bad going in the future? And then after you answer that, like name some players that the Saints had to let go or couldn't resign. Um, that you thought that if it was a healthy salary cap, the Saints would have liked to have to be, had on this team. Oh, the answer is yes. It was that bad, and I, ha- I have a list here of guys that they would like to have kept. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, but I will say at the top of the list is Janoris Jenkins, a starting corner, and he's a to me the guy they call the Jackrabbit. He's a shutdown corner, and in this league, you don't want to get rid of guys like that. They're hard to find. You know, you, you see it with the Bucks guys. I mean, you have young players who are stepping into that role, but. You know, Sean Payton in his era in New Orleans, when they've struggled, the offense has always been good. It's when the defense, especially in the secondary, has not played well. They've had a lot of injuries there. They've had a lot of free agent guys that haven't worked out. I can look back to the Jason David years that were disaster years. When they drafted Marshawn Lattimore, that was really the resurgence for the Saints because, remember, you know, they had the three straight seven and nine years. Then they had the 2017 draft class. But then when they added Janoris Jenkins to compliment Marshawn Lattimore, it took that defense to a whole new level. They did not want to say goodbye to Janoris Jenkins, but 
the salary cap was a big deal. It was a problem. I'm I'm amazed they kept as many guys as they could. But boy, when they let go of Janoris Jenkins, I'm thinking, man, that is not good for this football team. I mean, they they moved up in the third round to get Paulson Adebo. Mm-hmm. And right now, he may be the guy pushing for the starting spot. You know, Richard Sherman's still out there. You have some veterans. I still think they'll make a move and pick somebody up. But they're very vulnerable in the secondary. The safeties are good with Malcolm Jenkins and, and Marcus Williams. But, boy, you can't let go of a shutdown corner veteran in this league and not miss him. And I think the Saints will miss him. Big time. Yeah, especially when you've got uh, a team that you're going to play twice a year who has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller. Uh, if uh, it's, it's like the old adage says, when you think you have enough uh, secondary uh, depth, go out and get some more second uh, secondary depth. Right. I want to go back to on the offensive side, Mike, and, and talk about the offensive line because uh, you, the, the saints didn't have to make a whole lot of, uh, of moves with the offensive line uh, because uh, of the youth. What do you think of the of how the offensive line could grow this year with a new quarterback under center? Well, that's a good question because the Saints have made a priority to draft the offensive line. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a sex pick, uh, but the, it's it's a big reason why this offense has been good. And they drafted Cesar Ruiz last year in the first mm-hmm. round. Didn't really play well at guard, but they think he'll be a better center. So they may move him to center. They still have Teron Armstead. Obviously, McCoy's their center, but they feel like he can slide over to guard and be better than Ruiz. So that may be something to watch. But Armstead, obviously an elite left tackle. Ryan Ramchek, an elite yeah. right tackle. You have those guys that are going to be set. The the uh, pinata in New Orleans is Andres Pete. Yeah. For years, you wonder, you know, why is this guy a pro bowler? Why do they keep re-signing him? They love Andres Pete, though. They really feel like, when healthy, he can be really good for this offensive line. So, yeah, with all the casualties, I know we'll get to the defense. Most of the losses were on defense. Mm-hmm. We talked about Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook. But the fact that they kept the offensive line intact and the fact that you can take Ruiz and move him to center potentially and McCoy can slide over to guard, I don't think this offensive line will skip a beat. In fact, I think they could be better. Yeah, well, well let's, why don't we sl- slide over the defense and go ahead and name some of those guys that the Saints had to lose, and then we can uh, start in t- talking about who they picked up in the offseason and the draft. All right, I'll go back to my uh, list again. Uh, yes, that's very <laughs> yeah, you look, you look like Santa Claus over there. That thing's Absolutely. ginormous. Yeah, well, yeah, they knew they were a nice list. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, a lot of that. So, you know, you knew they wouldn't keep Trey Hendrickson. I mean, he had one of those career years, especially with their salary cap situation. I even think – if they had cap room, they may not have overpaid for him like most teams could and, right. and did on the market or bidded for him anyway. Janoris Jenkins, we've talked about him. But in that middle of the defensive line, you have Sheldon Rankins and yeah. Malcolm Brown, who both left. And, you know, they have uh, – I, I love uh, Ty Sh- – I'm trying to think of the, the guy who's going to replace him um, – Shuttle or something. I forgot his name. I'm sorry. But they have young players they believe in. They're going to step up. And uh, and they've groomed them in the middle of that line. Uh, you still have Cam Jordan on one side. But a, a real key to me on the defensive line is Marcus Davenport, a guy they gave up two first-round picks for. Yeah. If, if he can stay healthy, i, I got to say, when he's healthy, guys, Ty Shuttle, I think his name. I'm going to look that up. But he's one of the best names in the NFL. It's driving me crazy now. But Marcus Davenport – when healthy, I think he's been pretty productive, but that's the big thing is he can't stay healthy. If he can step up, it'll really help this defense 
in so many ways. I mentioned the secondary, but if they're strong and that D line, it's going to do the Saints a lot of good in this season. But that's a big question mark. I mean, Marcus Davenport, they've been waiting on that. They've been waiting. They hope this is the year for him. Uh, so I mentioned Jenkins. I mentioned Hendrickson, the guys in the middle of that D line. Um, Alex Anzalone is an interesting guy because he was part of that great 2017 draft class mm-hmm. and couldn't stay healthy. But when he kind of rebounded from his last injury, didn't play well. That's why they acquired Quan Alexander. And then Quan Alexander played great and had the Achilles. And then Anzalone went back there, played a little bit better, but never really got better after the injuries. That was that was surprising to me because I thought he was one of those guys when healthy was good. And he goes up to Detroit with Dan Campbell, who obviously was with the Saints last year. So, you know, I, I feel like the Saints are fragile. It's the best way to describe them, especially on defense. Uh, uh, the defense is more vulnerable than the offense because of the secondary. But, boy, can you imagine if Cam Jordan goes down or, or Marshawn Lattimore goes down or, heaven forbid for this team, Demario Davis, because mm-hmm. he's really – the only good linebacker they have right now, too. I mean, they drafted Zach Bond the second round last year from Wisconsin. He just played special teams last year. They're hoping he steps up, and they drafted Pete Warner in the second round. So they have some young guys they are hoping to play well, but they're fragile. If any of those big names go down, this Saints defense is in trouble. You know what? They could be in trouble anyway. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right about that. And the guy you're looking for is Shy Tuttle. Uh, Thank, the, you. The big, Thank you. The big, Thank the big clogger uh, at at nose tackle. I I, w- I wanted to ask you about Demario Davis because you know that was it. That was a big acquisition, and you know when when you've had uh, you, there's been some, there's been a lot of uh, I I guess you could say some turnover at at the linebacker core. But what does Demario Davis do to to kind of anchor that group? I think he's the Drew Brees of the defense. He's the leader. He, he, he brings it all together. I mean, the secondary, obviously, the last couple of years was very good. But the mm. linebacking core has been vulnerable even when the Saints were winning division titles, guys. I mean, Anzalone was in and out of the lineup. And, you know, they're playing schemes with two linebackers out there and loading up the, the defensive line. But Demario Davis was that one guy who could stay healthy and kind of like, you know, he's not Derek Brooks, but he's that player that's roaming the field. He's all over it, leading the team in tackles and just, just making plays left and right. So – uh, you know, he, to me, you could make a case besides Drew Brees, one of the best or top free agent acquisitions in the Sean Payton era, because, you know, he wasn't a huge name before he got to New Orleans. But boy, not only the player on the field, but the leader. I mean, when Drew Brees was hurt, he's doing the pregame chant before the game. I mean, he's a guy this team really rallies around a lot of ways. And I know last year to go just going off topic when they had the issues with what Brees said about the national anthem. There's a lot of locker room unrest. He's one of those guys. I think that kind of pulled it together a little bit as well. So he brings the intangibles, but he's a great player and they, they have to have him. I mean, he Cam Jordan's getting a little bit up there in age, but I would say Demario Davis may be along with Marshawn Lattimore, really the two marquee players on this saints defense heading into the season. It sounds like you're telling us that the saints have no depth. No, they don't. Yeah. They have like a lot of good players and some nice and nice spot. Yeah. Tier one players in some nice spots. There's some spots where they're a little young and they hope, you know, they blossom because they've been groomed for a year or two. But, but like, but after that, like the cupboard is completely bare. Well, I don't know if it's completely bare. I will say this. It's just the unknown, Ren. I mean, you got a lot of these young players 
that haven't proven themselves. I mean, I mentioned Zach Bond at linebacker, and then I'm going to mention these rookies. Uh, Peyton Turner's a you know the defensive right, right. drafted, and a lot of people said he wasn't even the first round grade. You know, you could have mm-hmm. waited for him. Saints really like him, and I'll say this about. I have a pet peeve on draft grades. The only thing worse than draft grades is is projecting a schedule in in April. That drives me crazy. But I know we all got to do it, and I, mm-hmm. I read it, and I watch it too, and I know it's good for for podcasts and these purposes. But I will. The reason I say that is, uh, you know, Mickey Loomis is the general manager. Does a great job with the cap. We saw it again this off season. But the guy, in terms of picking the personnel and and really having the ear of Sean Payton is Jeff Ireland. And mm-hmm. Jeff Ireland came along in 2017, which just happened to be the year that they turned it around with that draft class, which you know, may be the best in, in NFL history in a lot of ways, guys. I mean, it had seven starters. The 06 draft class was really good with the Saints, too. I mean, if you talk Reggie Bush and Roman Harper and Marcus Colston, Zach Streif, Jari Evans, that was pretty good, too. But Jeff Ireland hasn't really had a bad draft class. So until he does, I, I, I talk to, I do a lot of these shows. I say, you know, in Ireland, I trust. I do. I mean, he's had a proven track record in New Orleans and really gotten it done in a lot of ways. So back to your point, if this draft class can plug the holes like a Peyton Turner, like a Pete Warner, like a Paulson Adebo, Jeff Ireland will be king once again because he'll pull in three guys that – you know, provide a huge need for this football team on the defensive side of the ball. But boy, those are huge asks for rookie players. Right. Yes. They're top heavy. They have great stars on offense, but below those stars, a lot of young players who haven't proven themselves and it's even worse on defense. I I was just going to ask you uh, about Pete Warner because I've seen a lot of depth charts have him as being the guy that's going to be the starting will linebacker. Uh, this year, I know he went to Ohio State. I know that he's he was a big he was he has a big college program linebacker. But do you think he's ready for to to make that transition from the college game to starting in the pro games and and how much more complex the offenses are at this level? The Saints may not have a choice unless they pick up a veteran. I mean, uh, a guy like Zach Bond. You know, I mean. I, they're not going to say it, but I think they expected more out of him a year ago than just playing a lot of special teams. He's second-round pick, just like Warner. He didn't play a whole lot. But then again, it was a deeper team last year, kind of like the Bucks are this year, and you could afford to groom a young player a little bit more. But mm-hmm. to answer your question, I, I think they're just going to have to have young guys step up. That's what happens in the NFL when you charge that credit card for years and you got to get rid of all these guys. you got to count on the Pete Warners of the world, the Zach Bonds, Heaven forbid the Saints defense has to count on Paul Sadebo and they don't bring in a, a ringer off the you know scrap heap. Or maybe a P.J. Williams steps up. He's been a serviceable guy in that backfield too. But, yeah, I think they're counting on some of these rookies, and they're going to have to. That's just the way of the world in New Orleans with this cap hell that they put themselves into. Now, offensively, like the Saints are going to get their points. It doesn't matter who is going to be the quarterback. It doesn't matter who they're playing. Payton, Sean Payton's going to come up with something, and this, the Saints are going to score somewhere between 24 and 30 points a game. It's, it's just what's going to happen. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, with, you know, the, like you said, these, these young draft picks coming in, uh, you know, with, with, with Davenport sort of not living up to his potential yet. Um, you know, Jenkins is gone. Um, the safeties are nice, but they're really far away from the ball. 
do you think the defensive coordinator has the chops to be able to scheme up and hide and protect these guys? Or is he one of those guys that like, no, nope, we run, the, you know, we run the Tampa two and that's what we're running and we do do it. Or, or is he a multiple type of guy where his, his defensive game plan will change week to week? I think Dennis Allen, their defensive coordinator is very good. I'm surprised he didn't get more looks as a head coach. You know, he went on, uh, the Raiders stranded Island, like a lot of these head coaches and, and was in and out there pretty quick. And I don't think it was the best way for him to test those head coaching water years ago, but boy, when they brought him back and they replaced uh, Rex Ryan with a Rob Ryan, I should say, got to get those guys mixed up, you know? Um, but when Rob one Ryan, is feet, one is hair. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but when Rob Ryan left and Dennis Allen took over, granted they started drafting better but he made better adjustments too. I mean, he makes adjustments all the time, and I think that's his strength. And you've seen it with the personnel that they've drafted the last couple of years and, you know, getting a, a Marshawn Lattimore, getting a Janoris Jenkins during the season. I mean, they didn't have him in training camp. Mm-hmm. Getting a Demario Davis in the offseason and drafting a lot of these defensive linemen. I think he's had a lot of moving parts. He's had a lot of different personnel groups but he's made it work. And you see it time and time again with Dennis Allen. A lot of these games, if it's not working in the first half, he will change and it will work in the second half or it will be improved in the second half. So he's used to mixing it up and changing it up, and he's not too stubborn. And I think he and Sean Payton have that kinship because Dennis Allen was that DB coach when everything started in 06 with Sean Payton. He was on the original staff before he'd left right. to go to Denver and eventually the Raiders. I want to say Las Vegas, but it was obviously Oakland and Las Vegas for uh, Dennis Allen before they moved. But he has a lot of trust in Sean Payton. I think they work together well. They don't have screaming matches like Sean Payton had with Rob Ryan on the sidelines. So to me, it's very it's very copacetic between those two guys. I want to use that word in this at some point. I, I got it now. You got but it in. I JC think, word approved. Yeah, I think I think to answer your question, he's very flexible. And he's great at adjustments, and it looks like he's going to have to be this year. With this defensive personnel, what can he hang his hat on? Like, what can he say week in, week out? This is rock steady. This is what I can count on. And then I can sort of branch and multiple off of that. You know, he's a secondary guy by trade. And, you know, his history being a DB's coach. So I think developing guys in the secondary. I mean, you know, Marshawn Lattimore came in a great player, but Mm -hmm. I think he has put him in positions to succeed, and Marcus Williams the same way. I mean, everybody kind of remembers Marcus Williams for the Minnesota Miracle. Right. But take away that play. He had a huge pick in that game early on, and he was a the guy they wanted to keep this year. So I think if you look at the development of young players, I always look at that when I evaluate coaches. And, you know, Cam Jordan was already established when Dennis Allen got there. We'll stay tuned on Marcus Davenport. But Dennis Allen hangs his head on the, on the secondary – and the success of Marshawn Lattimore, the success of Marcus Williams, the maturation of Janoris Jenkins in the scheme. And, you know, you bring back Malcolm Jenkins, and he had kind of a rough start last year. Didn't feel like he was comfortable. Dennis Allen made him more comfortable in that scheme. So I look at the DBs and I look at the safeties where Dennis Allen has really helped this football team in terms of the stamp he's put on this defense. We'll get into more with the New Orleans Saints with Cox Sports Television's Mike Neighbors here in just a moment on the Petercast. Mike, 
I I know that 2020 was a very strange year for most of the NFL, but I think it really did affect the the Saints in one particular way, and that is the fan base not being inside the Superdome. It was a, an empty stadium for I want to say almost the entire year. They they pump in crowd noise, and they did that in in every arena and every stadium. Uh, around professional sports, but it's not the same feeling as, you know, when you have 80,000 screaming fans inside the Superdome. How much do you think that the team is going to get a big boost knowing that not only is it going to be fans in the stands, but it's going to be full capacity again this year? I think the Bucks benefited from that. I think, it's, you know, it's not the difference in the game, but that playoff game would have been a lot louder and you look at Drew Brees' career, you know, all he did for the city of New Orleans for it to end that way with, uh, you know, not many fans at all in the playoff game. And, well, you go back to that first game against the Bucks. Mm-hmm. it was like – it was worse than a high school game. It was worse than a peewee game. I mean, you could hear – you could hear the players and the coaches on the field from the press box. The press box and the Superdome guys were like in a Goodyear blimp up there. I mean, it's yeah. way up there, and you could hear everything. So – it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. I mean, a lot of fan bases can say that, but you guys know this. In the Superdome, it's different. It's a different atmosphere, especially in a playoff atmosphere, and they bring it. I mean, they have a basketball team in New Orleans, and they love LSU, but it's a Saints city, and the Saints are paramount, and they get they got jacked before Sean Payton, but they really got jacked when Sean Payton and Drew Brees came to town. So it was a huge deal. It was a very strange season last year. And, you know, it should only benefit this football team having all the fans back, as it looks like that will be the case this year. Well, you alluded to earlier how much you hate it, but uh, after the draft, after free agency, the guys (laughs) that have come and gone, uh, I'm not going to ask you to give you a record, but, like, where do you think, you know, how is is the season shaping up for the Saints? Are, Are we looking at a team that's, Bottom cellar dwellers, or are we middle of the pack? Are we definitely going to the playoffs? Like, like, how do you how do you think this team and this season is going to shape up from what you know so far about yeah, what you've seen? For it's New funny when we do predictions now. We have to go odd numbers now with the seventeen games. Yeah. Kind of weird, right? That's uh, it's, okay. Well, eight and eight. You know, it's got to be nine and eight or something like that. I still think you know. I will go back to it. It's my theme in this show. They're fragile. If they can stay injury free. I think this will be a good football team. If Jameis Winston cannot make mistakes, I think it could potentially be better offense. If they can have a cornerback step up, it will be huge for this football team. But, guys, too many ifs, a lot of ifs around these New Orleans Saints. A lot more ifs than we've seen really since before the 2017 season where they, they didn't know what they had. And, you know, they don't really know what – you don't know what you have with these rookies until you get them on the field. I think the good news for the Saints is it looks like it'll be a normal offseason with OTAs, with minicamp, with preseason games, with training camp. But I think if – even if all those ifs don't come to be, I think this team is still going to be a contender. I do. And you look at the NFC South, Carolina's still in rebuild mode. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm scared to pick the Falcons every year because when you think they're good, they're bad. And when you think they're bad, they're good. That's just kind of how they are. They're just the ultimate wild card. But I do think their defense is awful in Atlanta. So with all that said, I think the Bucks are obviously the team to pick in the NFC South. But I think the Saints have wild card potential. I really do. I think they okay. could have a winning record. But, boy, they're fragile. And if anything happens, it's going to jeopardize that. 
And when you're fragile, you know, that's not a lot of room for error. That's a tough way to enter an NFL season. It really is. I, I agree. I agree that with the the fragility, but one guy that really has not been fragile uh, at all is, is Alvin Kamara. Uh, you know, with his brand, he got his brand new contract last year, uh, and you know he's. I I I just hate having to see him twice a year. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, how much do you think Kamara's role? I, I don't want to say it changes, but it gets modified without Drew Brees uh, in the huddle with him? Yeah, I, I still think, he, obviously, he'll be, I think he could be a bigger part because the quarterbacks, whoever plays, it's weird with Taysom Hill, though. When Taysom Hill was in there last year, whoever had Kamara on your fantasy team really struggled because he didn't yep. find the end zone that much. It was not a, a good run for him. So I think if you own uh, Alvin Kamara, you want Jameis Winston to be that starting quarterback because I think yeah. they match a little bit better the way Jameis Winston plays, too. The thing about Kamara is didn't really have a, a, a great year in 2019. And when they were talking contract, I thought, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if they want to pay a whole lot for him. So we went from that to, boy, they got a bargain paying him that. So, I mean, he did so much for his brand and, and himself last season in so many ways that I think he'll be a huge part of the defense – of the offense, I'm sorry. But I think if Jameis Winston's the quarterback – that's going to be the key to his success uh, because Taysom Hill, <clears throat> for some reason, just doesn't work with those two guys as well as a Breeze or potentially a Winston. Right. Well, because Taysom doesn't hand the ball off, he likes he likes to run the power ISO himself, or even <laughs> even the little screen passes. That didn't that wasn't a big part of it either. Yeah. 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 I, I the first year that Kamara sort of had the show to himself, it was a little disappointing. You're projecting out his numbers, you know, when he would come in for Ingram, and then you project it out as him being the you know the, the number one guy. I was like, this guy's gonna break records, yeah. uh, and then it just didn't happen, and just took him a year to, you know, to uh, grow into it, and it was, didn't he, what did he score, like 37 touchdowns on New Year's Eve or something? Well, I remember on, uh, what was it, Christmas, he had seven? Christmas Eve, that was it, yes. He should have had eight, he should have had eight. Um, yeah, they robbed him, yeah. did they? Yeah, they kind of lost track, <laughs> and I, I think, you know, the, the way of the world now, I think somebody let Sean Payton know, hey, he, he's, he's getting close to a record here, and they Sean Payton loves breaking records. We saw a breeze right. over and over again. So he could have had eight, though, for sure. Yeah, that was – I think fans loved that game. It was kind of bittersweet leaving, thinking you could have had more there. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think – here's my thing, too, with Mark Ingram. He's maybe my favorite saint of all time. Really? Why? Yeah, I, I think he was such a great locker room guy. And how many veteran running backs in the league, guys, would take a rookie like Alvin Kamara – and do interviews with him after every game in front of their locker, befriend him, teach him everything. A very secure guy, a team guy. I host all these post-game shows. When it's a primetime loss, we're always live. It's not fun to get guests. Ingram would always join us. So when Ingram left and, and Kamara didn't have that first year like he did last year, I really thought there was something to Mark Ingram not being there and not being that mentor and, and okay. not helping him in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, Mark Ingram, the, the character he has and the generosity he had with Alvin Kamara, if Alvin Kamara is a Hall of Famer one day, I would expect him to have Mark Ingram introduce him in Canton because what he did for him wow. his first couple of years in New Orleans, uh, you don't see that in the NFL that much, guys. You really don't. I love, like, I always hear, you know, beat reporters or what do they call Like, Like, if you're on television – 
and you cover the Saints, you know, and you're there like almost every day. Is that considered a beat reporter? Absolutely. Okay, because I always just kind of thought that was like a newspaper or print thing. Or ask digital, Carney. But. Ask Carney. He's a, like with the Rays. If he's there every day, yeah. Carney's a yeah, beat guy in my mind. Yeah. No. Yeah, but that's that's for radio, and I, I just I just never I've never really sort of equated like a TV, you know, for a TV station or a TV personality to be a beat reporter. It was just a question I had in my mind. But oh, every time I've heard a beat reporter talk about their favorite player, the story is always. Because they're always there for me. It's like he's he was one of my favorite Buccaneers, Saints, whatever, Yankee, Ray. Why? Because he always gave me a quote. Like without fail, that that well, is always why are you shaking your head, Carl? No, because because you have to think that there are a lot of guys that are in these clubhouses, in these locker rooms, who, for lack of a better word, they're dickheads. You know, mm -hmm. they, they make a boatload of money. They don't want to talk to you. They just want to, they, they would, they couldn't care less. They, they would be like, just get out of my face. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with you. But then you'll get the guys that are like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll let, I'll let you in. I'll, I'll give you a, a little insight on, on what you're thinking. Those are going to be your guys. I, I know that I've had a number of them, whether they are in the lightning locker room in the Rays clubhouse, even in the Bucks locker room, I, I always had, I always had two or three guys that I knew that it, even for someone like me who is not there every day, but if I needed to go into the Bucks locker room and get a quote, I always knew that I could go to Demar Dotson or to Cameron yeah. Brait, and I could I could get one of those guys to give me something that would be interesting and that I know that the listeners would want to hear about. And so that's what, and, and so of course it's going to be subjective and it is all about access for, uh, for us. Right. Mike, I, I, I'm not, I'm not or, saying anything that. Or you have a guy like Warren Sapp, who's great to the national media and everybody around the country thinks he's Mr. Nice guy. And we all knew locally he wasn't a nice guy and he was a fraud and he was a phony. And he would put a towel in front of us and spit tobacco while we're all just trying to get a couple of questions for him after a game. That really, to me, is worse. Because if you're a jerk, you're a jerk. But if you're a fraud, that's even worse in my eyes. If you like, hey, HBO, hey, ESPN, hey, Football Night in America. But to the local guys, you're a jerk. That's I just have no respect for that. And to me, that was Warren Sapp across the board. The worst guy I've ever covered, no doubt about it. Yeah, he's not the, he's not the only one is like that. I either. can't stand him. I can't stand Warren Sapp. as a fan. Like he's a, like, phony. For, he's a phony. He's a phony. Yeah, for somehow I don't know. I can't sort of connect the dots for you, but somewhere during his, it, it wasn't during his career, but very soon post career, I started to be like this guy. He's 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 like you said, he's a jerk. He's yeah. definitely a jerk. So we're gonna go off on a tangent here real quick. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? What do you think about what's going on with, I'm going to mess her name up, so I'm not going to try, the number one tennis player, female tennis player in the world, jumping out of the French Open, and this whole thing that sort of started about press conferences necessary, not necessary, uh, sh how much should athletes actually have to do press conferences. And I've listened to a few podcasts and, and radio hits of people talking about this. And honestly, the like, I'm... I understand what you know. The uh, beat reporters need because being the open locker room, the one on one, to get better stories and all that type of deal. But the the but the press conference conversation that's going around now, the 
only thing the best I've heard people explain it to me as in why it's necessary is trust us. Like, oh, just trust me. Like that's really? that's that's what I'm getting as their explanation about. Look, I, the, the, this is what the sports writers say. They say, look, I understand if you think press cons are stupid, you don't want to watch them. Yes, there are there are very good reporters. There are reporters that aren't so good. Yes, there are some dumb questions, but there are also some great questions. And they spit out some you know anecdotes about both. But at the end, just trust me. Trust me. It, you know they're necessary. That's not an argument. Like I agree. Yeah. So so like. Where do you where do you fall on this? You know, when when I first saw this debate, you know what I thought of first? It's it's because of COVID. It's because we oh, I, I said I'm gonna mean to cut you off, but I, I started asking people this last year. I was calling the sports talk radio stations going, Hey guys, you know in a year and they don't let you in the locker room, you're gonna be screwed. You need to be doing something about this like right now. Yeah. And everyone and I okay, and here we are. Well, I, I have a, a weird take on this because I did a post game show with Drew Brees for 15 years. Oh, nice! And, and had him after every game, you, you know, write a away, book. away from it. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. <laughs> uh, little subliminal message there. I like that. <laughs> That's the way you are, Ren. I like that, my friend. Um, stay tuned, by the way. But it was, you know, I didn't know how it would be. I remember meeting with the Saints last uh, June or July or August. With no training camp. Like, how are we going to do these post game shows? You know, with Brees and I get Breeze, I get a couple other people too. And I'll say this with COVID, it was actually easier because mm-hmm. I had my own little portal. They'd come right to my laptop. Right. And you get Breeze one on one. You get, I remember in Chicago last year, I got Taysom one on one. I got Cam Jordan. I got like a handful of guys. And I thought, boy, it stinks that my photographer can't travel with me because he's losing money and I feel for him. It stinks that our fan base can't watch anymore. But selfishly, it's awesome from my point of view because right. they're coming right to me. And I'll be very curious to see how it'll be this year. But the bigger picture, to answer your question, of course press conferences are needed in so many ways because we have to ask the questions. Now, here, here's my thing. I don't know how you guys feel. I'm not married to being in the locker room. I'm not. If you want to meet me outside the locker room or if you want to go to the podium, that's fine. I never felt real comfortable in the locker room waiting for a guy to get dressed. It was just, it's like you're, I'm, I have to get like five one-on-ones. This is pre-COVID and I'd have to wait till Cam Jordan put a, a pair of pants on. Maybe he doesn't have a shirt on. I'm here with Cam Jordan and I got to get three questions and toss it back to the studio on tape. Right. Never, I mean, I've been in a locker room my whole life. I played sports. It's not that. It's just a privacy. It's just, it's just not. You're, you're being a, you're being a nuisance, and you know it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't <laughs> like mind, I'm trying to get dressed. I don't mind pivoting out of that, but you can't get rid of press conferences because you know what? It's not just because. It's because to me, we have to ask the questions not only to do our job, but people want the answers. Right. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Is the PR staff for these teams just going to have right. releases and spin it the way they want to? No, mm-hmm. you always have to have the media. But then the bigger problem is there's too much media now and they don't circumvent that. Hence the bad questions, hence the pushback from the athletes. So I think you got to circumvent the media a little bit. But what's you the never, criteria? Yeah, but you, um, I think you have to. Have I've a- heard this argument too, where it's like, well, you don't have to credential everybody, and right. it's like, okay, so basically, it's like you're not, you know, I believe in like once you've made it to a certain point, 
you can, and you have the power or ability to be able to turn around and pull somebody up that you should. Yeah. And I've heard more than once where it's just like, no, in this instance where it's like, Hey, like, like how, and I get it. You're like, well, you know, there are people in the locker room. Look, I've been, I, I have not been in the locker room. I've had credentials at training camp. I've been in the media room. I felt like I would not ask questions in the scrum. You know why? Because this wasn't my job. You know, I was there for this podcast that I do, but this is not how I make my living. It's how you guys make your living. So I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to try to jump in there so I can ask a question of BA, but, <laughs> but other people that want to become, you know and right, get I'll say this. I like the, I like your approach because, and you guys all know this. There are some people in the media that ask a question just to ask a question. Yeah, not, not because they need it for their story. And no. then you have the flip side. This really irritates me. Me too. I, yep. I mean, not only does that irritate me because there's a, there's a finite amount of time, and it's great mm -hmm. that you respect the beat writers and the people that need more volume, and you're going to get what you get, and, and you get it, okay? But this is what bothers me too: is the people that ask a question just to ask a question, mm -hmm. and then you have the other side is that if if I'm doing a goofy feature, if I'm doing a a niche kind of question, you get the guy in the corner shaking his head, you know, stop, you know, stop it. I respect <laughs> your job. You respect mine. Shut up. I had it drives me crazy. Just because you don't like my story. I don't care. It's my story. And there's a couple uh, people in the media locally here. They used to be here. They're not really around anymore. They would do that all the time. And I'm, I, I'm proud of myself for never confronting them. Because I came close to doing it, it was crazy. My favorite, though, and I'll I'll bring a third different type of person up is the is the person who will ask a question that's already been asked, <laughs> so that their voice is the one that gets used in their in whatever whether it's on a on a TV yeah. sot or or on a uh, on a radio soundbite or or whatever. It's like. That question just got asked, and you're asking it again just so people can see that it was you asking that question. I've and seen that's that. Why athletes time. get irritated, right? Coaches, because right. you know what? Pay attention. It's like being a ball hog. Enough. You're gonna. You're if you're covering the team, you're gonna have your opportunities. You are. So I just think the whole thing needs to be reworked because where you get your one-on-one -on -one shouldn't be in the locker room. Now after the game you're kind of stuck there and you get open locker room like once, maybe twice a week, you know, guys are doing other things. I need, I think it needs to be sort of a small super bowl. You know how they have super bowl media day where everybody's there and everyone has a table and you can go over around whoever you want to right. once a week, like media asks for who they want. These players got to go there and sit there for 20 minutes and you get to go around and do it because like you need the one-on-ones, you need the relationships, you need to build the trust, be able to get the really good stories, the ones that you know that really hit home. Like, remember that story two years ago, or remember that story back in March? Like those stories you can't get because basically we're all pool reporters now. I'm not calling myself a reporter, but I just watch the press conferences, yeah. and and everyone's getting the same exact information. Okay, mm -hmm. what bothers me as a fan, and this is before COVID, was how you know they'd run the press conferences back to back like here comes Jameis and here comes BA and here comes you know the offensive coordinator and someone's doing a piece so you hear the question three times because they need quotes for their story yeah, yeah. well it becomes a game too this goes back to Carney's point 
and really yours too, Ren, is that in the locker room, you may get, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Devin White while everybody's getting Ali Marpet. Right. And then you're going to go get Ali Marpet and you're going to ask him the same question he just answered before. Right. I think that could fix some of that. I always think the locker room is kind of a game. I'll never forget when Ronald Jones was a rookie and everybody said how bad he was. And I, I was just talking to him. I had never met him before. And, and I said, he goes, hey, let's go do it on the other side of the locker room. And we go do it. And then all of a sudden I look up and there's 20 people around me. Right. And he looked at me. He's like, you created a monster here. And I'm like, that's just, I mean, but we're in this finite space. Yeah. That's where it goes back to. I just mentioned Carney's point, which was a good one. Now I'll mention yours. I mean, I have no problem not being in the locker room anymore. I don't. If you're going to give me the same access, and I'll say this, I've covered the Bucs and Saints for years, mm-hmm. and it's so much easier to cover the Bucs, especially from a training Why? standpoint, because you can get one-on-ones after practice. When it wasn't COVID, I could grab guys off the field myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I did that in New Orleans, I may get tased. I mean, it's just a different deal. It's a different <laughs> It's a different protocol of grabbing guys like that. Um, it, huh. used to, it used to be different there, but it's, it's stricter there. And, you know, you see that across the board in the NFL. There are different rules for different teams. But covering the Bucks to me, is a lot easier than a lot of other teams. I don't know how it's going to be this year with all the fanfare. Right. But I will say when I covered them, you know, I covered them. I mean, gosh, Tony Dungy, it was so easy getting him. I remember when they were calling for his job. I worked for Fox Sportsnet back then. And he did a one-on-one with me after he had a press conference. I mean, and it's always been that way with the Bucks. So I will always give the Bucks PR staff a lot of credit over the years for the access they give. It's it's pretty special. It's pretty rare. Well, now we're talking about grown-up stuff. Uh, I <laughs> have another question, which I just – oh, my God, I just forgot. Oh, oh here it is. no. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I, got it. I, I didn't okay. forget Shai Tuttle, though. I'll never forget that the rest of my life. <laughs> okay. This is a question that I've that I've asked a few of the beat writers in Tampa off the record, um, and you know, no one's watching, so don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I've asked people that, so I'll humor you a little bit. Yeah. Here, here's here's sort of my question as a reporter, and Carney, this is for you too. Uh, if you're covering the Bucks, you know, the past ten years before last year, and they're not very good, haven't made the playoffs, had one guy, you know. Neither side of the ball has been great. Have one 10 sack guy in the past 12 years, 13 years, whatever it's been. Now, here you cover the Bucks. They're in the Super Bowl. You're doing way more radio hits. You're getting way more publicity. ESPN's calling you. NFL Network's calling you. Do you think the NFL teams have a responsibility to the beat reporters to put a better product on the field? for their careers i didn't word that right but you know what i'm saying it's like if you were a patriots beat writer you are now working at espn like it's been a pipeline for new england i shouldn't say New England. i should say patriots beat reporter but like at the same time brady showed up the red sox got good and the bruins have been good and there's sort of been this pipeline that's sort of like headhunting that have they've got their own shows and now you know they're, they're on the nfl network and all these guys are spread out now if you're covering the bucks you get none of that coverage because no one wants to talk to you they don't they don't know the media anything uh at all i, I think if you do a good job for them is there part, responsibility for them no I, I don't think so i think i think it's you know i, I give people who've covered the bucks a lot of credit and uh <laughs> 
for, for, hanging, for hanging in there for a long time. And now you got rewarded. Um, I, I think that's, you know, for, you see that with any fan base. Now, I'll say this. I used to work in Jacksonville and seeing the joy that my friends in Jacksonville have about Trevor Lawrence coming to town. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a radio station up there and I know all those guys real well. They did a Trevor cast before he was even drafted. They're interviewing his, his high school coach. They're interviewing Dabo Sweeney. They're interviewing, you know, a lot of people. It was great. I'm happy for that market. They've been awful. I mean, when I when yeah. I left Jacksonville to come here, they were great. I mean, they were, you know, a, a Titan lost away from making the Super Bowl. They had Brunel. They had Fred Taylor and all those guys. But they've been awful for the better part of two decades. So to answer your question, I just think, I mean, I'm always privileged to cover, uh, to do what I do. And I don't think the team owes me anything. I think, to me, a lot of times, it's what you make it. If the team okay. is if the team is bad, it's a challenge in your job to make it better from your end, to be more creative in the stories you tell, to break stories, to forge connections in the locker room where they're not happy. I think you got to look at it the other way and say, you know what? I'm going to make the best of this bad situation because I'll tell you this, the, the front office, the head coach, the players, they don't, they don't have responsibility to us. I think we have responsibility, and I don't want to act like I'm running for Congress here or anything, but <laughs> I, I, I do believe that we have responsibility to take pride in our work yeah. and to be innovative and to be creative and to form those relationships and to make the most of, of every situation, whether it's good or bad. Is yeah, it harder I, covering a good team or a bad team? Either one. I, I think it's obviously easier to cover a good team, uh, but when you cover a team that's lost seven games in a row and you go in that locker room – and they're tired of the same questions. You know, you got to find a different way to ask the question. You got to find a different relationship to foster in there. And a trust must be attained with the credibility you do in your job. How you ask the questions, how you change the questions, how you change the the focus of what you do week in and week out. And I, I've always looked at that. I've covered bad teams. I've covered great teams. And I really like that challenge week in and week out. If maybe Warren Sapp's not talking then I'm going to have a better relationship with Rondé Barber and I'm going to work that angle. I'm going to work the Mike Allstotts or maybe Jojo or Vicious at the time. I love Keyshawn. You know, people can say what they want about Keyshawn. Keyshawn was great from our standpoint because mm-hmm. he got it, man. He got it. And I mean, to me, I remember when, you know, John Gruden and Keyshawn were at that point where it was going to be a divorce. Oh yeah. No, the, the degree of it at the time, but I remember the old one buck when we were all like this, in front of their lockers. In the trailers. trailers. I asked Keyshawn the week they played the Cowboys, if you could have one coach for one game, would it be John Gruden or Bill Parcells? He's like, oh, Parcells. And we're all like, (laughs) (laughs) you know what? I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate his reasoning behind it. I'll never criticize a player for being honest for the most part, you know, unless it's offending somebody. Um, because that's what we, that's, that's all you can ask. Cause how many times do we criticize an athlete for not being honest? So to answer right. your question, they don't owe us anything, but we as the media owe it to take pride in our work and to roll with the punches, whether it's good or bad. And if we do that, it will justify press conferences to bring this full circle. It will justify what we do for a living and no, I don't have to do it in front of their locker, but just give me the access to do my job and I'll do it well. I'll I'll add this in uh, about 
whether covering a bad team or covering a good team uh, is is better. I will say that success as a thousand follower, uh, fathers and failure is an orphan. I have always found that <laughs> when you're when you're covering a bad team, and I've covered some really bad teams with the Rays. <laughs> I've covered some really bad teams. Free Champa uh, Bay. Yes, uh, I I always found that, and, and even you know I was covering the lightning when when the cowboys were were running things and they ran the ran the franchise in the ground and almost caused to to go bankrupt and go under i I always found that when you're in there every day and when you're when you're around the guys every day they they tend to trust you more when you're a bad team like and you tend to you can develop those special relationships on bad teams because they understand that you're there in you're there with them and you're trying to make the best of this just like they're trying to make the best of it and i found that when when the team was bad i was always able to to find uh, a way to make it you know make it different like we, it's not just you struck out four times today bj right. what the hell happened um you know you try you 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 have to go about things in a, in a different manner, but, and the guys that were, that were around when things were bad respected me more when things got good and everybody else showed up. So uh, that's, that's why, uh, and, and, and like, uh, uh, dub is saying on, on, in our, uh, uh, in our YouTube quotes, it's why Levante is always so humble when he talks to the press, even now with the hype, because he remembers those crappy, those crappy years. And so you, you remember the bad times and you remember who was there. So you can say, okay, Rick, okay, Mike, okay, Greg, you know, you guys were around when things were bad and I'm going to treat you, you know, you, you were there when it was good and, or you were there when it was bad. And now I'm going to help you out when things are good and give you the better stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this when I was in Tallahassee and I covered Florida A&M, there was a player, I don't know if you remember him in the NFL, named Earl Holmes. He was a linebacker for the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Steelers, and he was one mm-hmm. of the best players. He's a head coach eventually at FAMU. When I got there, he wouldn't talk to the media, and I just arrived in town. I mean, I'm 27 years old. And I remember taking him aside at practice, and I said, I introduced myself, and, and I said, you know, I know you've had a bad experience with the media, but I just got here. So if I ever burn you, you don't have to talk to me, obviously. You don't have to talk to me now but I want you to know that I would like to start over and I would like us to have a relationship. And you know what? He ended up being uh, uh, a great resource for me. And, you know, and I, not that we're homers, but it is a relationship business and it is a trust business. But beyond that, to your point, Steve, it's a credibility factor. Mm-hmm. If we can ask the right questions and they know we have a job to do and they know they're not good and they're not playing well, but if we ask it in the right way, not in that confrontational way like that, clickbait way or with that gotcha way that maybe take you off to the side and say, listen, I know it was a tough game. Can you just give me a couple things here? It's how you ask it. It's how you approach it. That's everything. It's relationships, but it's how you deliver the question. All of that is just so important in so many ways. Yeah. I, I really need to work on that aggressive question. <laughs> the, way, <laughs> the way I ask questions, not, not so much to guess, but like, I have I have peppered a few questions at the play like what like you talked about how you can just kind of grab any player off yeah. the field at Bucks training camp. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there 
and it was the reason I kind of got into this. And, you know, two years later, which was, you know, four years ago, I got credentials with Buck's training camp. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is amazing. I go, okay, great. Um, but grabbing these players, there was the questions that I needed to know, you know, like the, the, I thought the fans want to know. I want to know. I somehow I found myself there. I got there and now I'm asking these questions, but, but yeah, it's, it, it takes a death touch to be able to read the player, the room, the situation and everything about it. And the better you are at that, the better you'll be at your job. But, and this sort of come finally full circle is it's all been taken away. All of that has been taken away by COVID. And now the NFL, like you talked about, like I had this conversation with Scott Smith. He's been with the Bucks for like 28 years. Now, you know, it was Buccaneers. Now it's Buccaneers.com. I said, I don't want only my news coming filtered through your and Carmen Vitale's office. Like, I don't. Like, I need, like, need, someone needs to hold you guys, hold the organization accountable. And we had a, a real chill back and forth and talked about it. And, you know, and we both agreed that each side had their points and, and this, that, and the other thing. But, like, it's, it is now gone, and it floors me that they're actually, you know, People like third party people, such as myself, which, you know, I don't report on the Bucks. I talk about the Bucks. You know how I talk about the Bucks? Because I, I follow people like Mike Neighbors. Like that, that's because he's there. Like, you know, so, and the people like me that are saying, oh, yeah, do away with press conferences. No big deal. It's, but if the press conferences go away, you can still watch it on YouTube because that's what you do anyway. Like, I, I don't understand how people are pro takeaway like rights or freedoms. And I don't mean to turn it political, but it's well, just insane to me. I don't know exactly how it's going to be, but I was encouraged when I saw Bruce Arians charity event and you had Brady there and you had Gronk there and you had the media interviewing them like, yeah. the, like the good old days. Right. Yeah. I actually thought, well, that's a good sign because maybe that's what we're going to see when everything rolls around. And, and uh, you know, it's, I think, you know, life is different. I mean, if you have, Anybody in a corporate job, they don't have conventions like they used to. I think that's going to be cut back. There's going to be more Zooms. I own a company, a video production company. I have two meetings next week. Normally, I would be in person with these people. And I think, you know, you know but it's going to be a Zoom. It's going to be different. It's different across the board, and it's going to be different with the media. But to the to the big question you had, you, you can't take away press conferences. We are, you know, you have to have the media be a part of this and it's not just for our sakes it's for people watching your show it's for the fans who read the newspapers or go online or listen mm -hmm. to the radio whatever local news all that stuff um i always had a problem with when i work locally with news directors saying nobody watches local sports you know you can watch espn and i would say well they can no they don't have to watch the weather they can watch the weather channel i mean that was the most bogus argument i've ever heard right. in my life so I think there's a need for it. And, and I think, you know, and I'll say this too, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to teach a course at Florida Southern. I just got my master's degree. And the reason I wrote my thesis and the reason I wrote all these papers is because I'm an old man now. And I want to tell young people who get in the business that, yeah, it's different now, but it's also great because mm -hmm. you can start a platform like you have. You can start yeah. faster and do more right away. But, you know, to me, you got to love it. And you got to have pride in it and pride in what you do. And if we have a, and the next generation that does that, I think there, there will be more continued credibility with the media and hence a need for a press conference and, and all the requests that the media has with these athletes and these coaches.
I can only hope that it goes back to the the way that it was, or at least getting close to the way that it was, and and hopefully that means that you know we're going to have more in person uh, availabilities. It was it's nice to see the availabilities with BA being in person, and hopefully everything else will will go back to being in person in time, and whether that's here. Uh, this year or next year, or so, you know, it, you have to, you have to have these. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's just so important, not just for, uh, not just for us and not just for the fans, but you know, these teams want to be covered. You know, they want, they want to be able to, to have as much positive out there as possible. So, uh, I, I think it really does make a, make a, uh, uh, make a difference that you can build these relationships. So, that's just that's my that's my two cents on it. To to get deep into my masters, I just did a thesis on gatekeeping theory on how you know we're used to the media deciding what the stories are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thesis was on gate crashers and their athletes on social media who are now deciding that. And I had to log sixty hours of Sports Center and see how many times that a gate crasher had content on sports center. I mean, there were several examples, whether it's Drew Brees posting on Instagram, that he's coming back for another year instead of talking to me or my brethren in new Orleans, whether it's Marquise Pouncey and his Range Rover driving around ranting about the CBA on Instagram. And that's the lead story on ESPN. The world's changing guys. Yeah. That's an example of it, but they call it press conferences I think it's more than just the press. It's for the people. It's for the fans. The press is that, you know, first, I don't know what, what the word is, but that, 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 that they're the ones who are asking the questions that a lot of people want the answers to. So yep. It's important. Yeah. Clarification, at least nothing else in the sports realm. Like, like Absolutely. Who, was that a bad ball? Or was that a bad route? Like, keep it easy. You yeah. know, those yeah. are the things you got to know. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up here, Mike. Uh, I know you've got some some good stuff uh, on on the horizon. Uh, nothing, uh, unfortunately, that we can that we can put to uh, uh, pen to pen to paper on yet, and and make it perfect. Uh, you know, give you give you all the the big uh, announcement here. But uh, for for those that uh, that want to make sure that they know what's coming up from Mike Neighbors, where can they find you? I appreciate it. Uh, on Twitter at Mike Neighbors and it's N A B as in boy O R S. And I do a lot of different things. Uh, my company in Tampa, we started this concept called Errands, where we run errands with sports celebrities, and we have them oh. uh, pick three errands of their choice, put cameras in the car, and run errands with them. We launched it with Dick Vitale, who was the perfect guy for that. The Saints like the concept so much, they signed us to a multi-year deal. We're entering our third year with them. We made it work during COVID. I put a mask on with Archie Manning. We drove around New Orleans for three hours. We did Morton Anderson in Atlanta and we're trying to broaden this. So we're have a lot of good leads. We had a lot of momentum before COVID and obviously COVID hurt a lot of uh, the plans that we had for that concept, but go on YouTube, put my name in Aaron's. You'll see all the episodes. Uh, I just, I like to approach sports from a different way. And Aaron's is one of those ways, but uh, it's going to be a fun season, guys. I mean, the Bucks. I mean, they have everybody back, but also in New Orleans with Jameis Winston. Those are going to be fun games to watch, potentially if he's a starter. So, man, I can't wait for this football season, but it was great to be on with you. 
Yeah. Uh, thanks for going down the rabbit hole with that with yes. me and uh, and being very candid and open and, and, you know, and not shying away and not giving coaches speak so much, uh, not being afraid to uh, I'm not even going to use the CC word cancel culture. Uh, <laughs> maybe if you said something wrong. So I, I appreciate it uh, very, very much. And uh, just to be to wrap this up, fragile, that's the word we're going with. Yeah, fragile. The Saints can do a lot of good things this season. They got to stay healthy. And two other things the rookies have to step up, especially on defense. And Jameis Winston is never boring, guys, but they want him a little more boring in New Orleans. And if he's a little more boring and can throw the ball downfield, here's your big takeaway. Potentially, the Saints' offense could be better than last year. We'll see what happens. Well, that'll do it here for this episode of the PewterCast. Uh, thank you to Mike Neighbors of uh, Cox Sports Television for joining us. But before we get out of here, Ren, it's time for the Ren mm. Addiction. How can they find you? Best place to find me is on Twitter, at the PewterCast. Uh, I used to do Ren Dax, so this is bad. Uh, it's spelled the way it sounds. Um, always down to talk Buccaneers football. But if you don't feel like putting your uh, take out there on Twitter sphere, feel free to slide in my DMs, and I will talk Buccaneers football with you there as well too yep and you can follow me on social media i am at steve carney of course my raise website stpete9.com uh, as well check out the fan-sided network where the pewter cast is the official bucks podcast subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to and if you're listening on apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review so we can reach as many bucks fans as possible and until next time ren you ready i am go buck yourself go lighting. <laughs>